excelling in sincerity. Paul says in the seventh verse of the eighth chapter of 2 Corinthians, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, which is a synonym for sincerity, and in your love for, all, for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And where Paul is trying to get them is to embrace this whole grace of giving. But there are other areas that are prerequisites for them to excel in before um, they arrive at this point. How many of you have seen the movie um, The Shawshank Redemption? Anyone saw that movie, The Shawshank Redemption? It's kind of an old movie now, but the central character, the main character in the movie is a guy by the name of Andy Dufresne who's been in prison for almost 20 years um, for a crime that he did not commit. And during that 19-year span, he uses a tool called a rock hammer to chisel his way to freedom. And every inmate, every inmate in the Shawshank State Prison, all of the inmates there wanted to get out of prison. There wasn't any inmates that were incarcerated that wanted to stay. Everybody wanted to get out, but none of the other prisoners reflected sincerity of getting out uh, to the same level that Andy did. His sincerity was so profound that he not only planned his own escape, but, he, but he, he, he planned, if he was successful, to bless his best friend also uh, if he were to ever leave prison. So I want you to watch this uh, clip from the Shawshank Redemption where Andy shares his final moments in the prison before his escape attempt. That's the way it is. It's down there and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Andy. Sure, and anything. There's a big hayfield up near Buxton. You know where Buxton is? There's a lot of hayfields up there. One in particular. It's got a long rock wall, a big oak tree at the north end. It's like something out of a Robert Frost poem. It's where I asked my wife to marry me. I went there for a picnic and made love under that oak and and she said yes. Promise me, Red. If you ever get out, find that spot. At the base of that wall, you'll find a rock that has no earthly business in a main hayfield. A piece of black, volcanic glass. There's something buried under it I want you to have. What end? What's buried under there? You'll have to pry it up to see. No, I'm telling you. Could you all understand what they were saying? 
Okay, good. That's just me, my ears. Amen. All right. Now, this is his last day in prison before his escape. He tells his best friend, and these are the key words, at the base of the wall, you'll find a rock that has no business in a main hayfield. It's something buried there that I want you to have, but you'll have to pry it up to see. So Andy, what he does, and when he escapes, he takes a detour on his escape, and he buries something up under a rock in anticipation of his friend's deliverance. You see, sincerity, you may want to write this down, sincerity does not guarantee success, but it does guarantee effort. Yeah, but just because you're sincere does not mean you'll accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, but it does mean that you're going to put forth a great deal of effort. Sincerity is not perfection. Sincerity does not mean that there are no failures or mistakes. Sincerity is not equivalent to getting the job done. Sometimes we fall short of that which we are sincerely pursuing. But sincerity is having an ideal. And I want you to hear this. Sincerity is having an ideal and pursuing that ideal in the face of challenges and challengers. It is refusing to change your mind while holding on to that ideal. Sincerity is pushing all the chips to the center of the table and saying, regardless of the outcome, I'm all in. Now, sustained advancement or excelling cannot happen without sincerity. Now, um, are there any insincere athletes in the Hall of Fame? Are there any insincere actresses who have won an Oscar? Are there musicians who have won Grammys or BET awards who are insincere about their craft? How about teachers? Are some of the principal of the year recipients insincere about educating children? Were Gabriel Prosser, Denmark Vesey, and Nat Turner, three of the major slave revolt leaders in the United States, were they insincere about their disdain for slavery? Was Cesar Chavez in his fight to unionize farm workers insincere about his effort? The answer is probably no. Those who do exceptional things are likely to be excelling in this area of sincerity. Sincerity is about honesty, but it, it, it is more than honesty and truthfulness. I want you to note this. Sincerity is an irrational commitment to a cause that is best reflected in how we are used and and how we use our time. Let me say that again. Sincerity is an irrational commitment to a cause that is best reflected in how we use our time. In other words, the single most determining factor for sincerity is how we use our time. Some of you may be familiar with a book that was written about uh, seven or eight years ago, and I've talked about it in the past, called Outliers. It is the study of success written by Malcolm Gladwell. And Gladwell has a quote in the book that says, the emerging picture from recent studies is that a 10,000-hour investment is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. He says, in study after study, 
study of, of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, or master criminals. And I would just add to that even Christian practitioners. This number comes up again and again and again. And no one has yet found one single case in which it is true that a person that has ascended to the position of being world-class in their particular arena has accomplished it with less than 10,000 hours invested. He says, it seems like it takes the brain this long to assimilate all that is needed to know to achieve true mastery. I want to ask you a question. If this assertion is true, if it is true for basketball, if it is true for chess, ballet, if it is true for journalism, if it, if it is true for science and music, is it not also true that if I want to excel as a believer, that there must be an inordinate amount of time that I invest in my Christian life in order to, uh, to ascend to a place of mastery? I don't know about you, but it doesn't make sense to be a Christian just to be a regular Christian. I wish somebody would say amen. It, it doesn't make sense to do all this praying and fasting and Bible reading just to be average. It would seem to me that if you want to be good at basketball, if you want to be good at skating, or if you want to be good on your job, if you want to be good at, 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 at your extracurricular activities, it ought to be that if Christianity and being a Christian and knowing Christ and knowing God is the most important thing in your life, it would seem to me that you would also want to be very good at being a Christian. Uh, can somebody say amen? In, in, in other words, um, we cannot master Christianity without investing our time. A marginal investment of our time will yield marginal results as a Christian. The goal of sincerity, and listen to this again, the goal of sincerity, and Paul says, I want you to excel at being sincere. The goal of sincerity is to execute a vision that is held in one's mind. In other words, if you're sincere, you have to be sincere about something. Amen. And so he says, um, so you want to execute a vision uh, uh, in your mind, and it does not matter how much time it takes or what resources that we lack. Sincerity does this. It pushes against any wall, and it says, wall, you must come down. Sincerity stares opposition in the eye and says, you must yield to my vision, second by second minute by minute, day by day, year by year, and if it takes decade by decade and generation by generation, sincerity says, I don't give up until this vision that I have and that I hold dear has come to pass. Now, there are many people that are willing to give money but have a difficult time giving their time. Yeah, but the only way to excel is to invest time into your effort. There was a, a, a great leader, a great African-American leader by the name of Benjamin Elijah Mays, who was a former a school board member in the city of Atlanta and also the former president of Morehouse College. And he used to have chapel on college and on the college campus and then would invite all of the men into chapel. It was mandatory that they 
uh, attended chapel. And one of the sayings that he used to recite to those men um, almost weekly was this poem about time that says, I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, did not choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I will suffer if I lose it and give account if I abuse it. It's such a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. And that's the way you have to look at time. All of the time that has already transpired, you can never retrieve again. You can't get it back. You can't have a second chance at it. If you wasted it, if you, if you, if you, if you blew it, if, if you didn't take advantage of it, then once it's gone, it's gone. You can never recollect. You can never go back and capture your time again. And within every second and minute of time, we are dealing with all of the composition of what eternity is. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul says, just as you excel in speech and in knowledge and in faith, faith, see that you also excel in earnestness or in sincerity. And, and so this excelling in sincerity is taking them somewhere. It's taking them to a place to where they can also be generous and sincere in giving their gifts to the Lord and to others. So I want to I talk about in the next few minutes, how do we excel in sincerity as a Christian? What are the things that we do that will, uh, that will define us excelling in the context of being sincere? I want to give you three things for your worksheet quickly if I can. So if you take your worksheets out and I want you to fill in the blanks. The first one is the longer you participate in anything, the greater the threats to sincerity. The longer you hang around, the harder it is to be sincere. First get a job, get a great job, high-profile job. When you first get there, it's easy to be sincere. You hang around long enough, find out how everybody really rolls and what's really happening around there, it becomes more and more difficult to be sincere. Will somebody say amen? Yeah. Secondly, sincerity is rooted in personal integrity. Sincerity is not based on what are the policies and procedures of my organization. Sincerity is not based on what do other people expect of me. Sincerity is rooted in personal integrity. It's based on what is in my heart, what are the contents of my heart. In other words, doesn't matter what the rules are, doesn't matter what the training regimen is, if you don't have it in your heart, it cannot happen. And then number three, the stakes, when we talk about sincerity, the stakes are very high. The stakes are very high. Yes, you can compromise your sincerity, but you will pay a high price for it. Uh, yes, you will. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's a high price to be paid for not being sincere. Now, if the mastery, if the mastery of Christianity versus marginal Christianity is your goal, and if that is my goal, if I want to be a great Christian, 
if I want to be an above-average Christian, if I want to be a Christian that stands outside of the crowd of Christians, I wish I'd say amen. If I don't blend in to what Christians look like, are are y'all feeling me? In other words, when somebody sees my life, they see something other than what they see in the normal person that calls him or herself a Christian. Because the truth is, the normal Christian does not really take Christianity that serious. They're they're not really that sincere about it. It doesn't really matter whether they line up with some things or not line up with some things. But if my life is to be different, if it is even to be different than most Christians, then that means I'm going to have to be willing to invest my time. Now, in order to give 10,000 hours, if if that's the standard, in order to be great, in order to be exemplary, in order to master it, it, the standard is that it's 10,000 hours and no one who has reached mastery in any area has ever done it without 10,000 hours. This is what 10,000 hours looks looks like. Now, there are only 8,766 hours in a year. And so that is to say that no one can master anything in one year. I wish I had somebody say, you know, you know, one of the interesting things, one of the interesting things, one of the interesting things today with education and with advanced degrees and with exposure and reading and Internet. Sometimes there are some people who come on the job and when they get on the job, they think they've been on the job 15 minutes and they've already mastered what I wish I had some help. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is. It's only it's only eight thousand seven hundred hours in a year. And so no one can master anything. In 12 months, if you spent one hour, uh, one hour a day, um, um, it, it would take you, it would take you 27 years and five months to reach mastery. I'm talking about if whatever your area is, if if it's being a Christian, if I want to be an exemplary Christian, I want to be strong, I want to stand outside the crowd, and if I just spend one hour a day, I get up at 6 o'clock and I read my Bible, I pray for 15 minutes, I'm going to serve others for 15 minutes out of the day, I'm going to uh, repent and examine myself, and I spend an hour on my Christian walk, but it's still going to take me 27 years before I get to the place that I'm really an exemplary Christian. Yes, it, but, if, but if, I, if I up that to two hours a day, if I invest two hours, then it's going to take me 13 years and eight months. Actually, eight and a half months. You got two more weeks. You got eight, uh, 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 13 years, eight, and then you got to go to the middle of the month before you actually master Christianity. If you invested three hours a day, somebody say three. I mean, you just really gung-ho. I mean, you got an hour in the morning, you take an hour somewhere in the middle of the day, and then at night you're still working on your faith. I mean, I'm not talking about accidentally working on your faith. I'm talking about intentionally. You are pushing other things to the side, and what you're doing is strictly for the purpose of growing and developing and mastering what it means to be a Christian. If you did it for three hours a day, it would take you about nine years and one month take you a a decade to really master the faith. Now, here's what Paul is saying in this text. Paul is saying that if you're going to excel in sincerity, you're going to have to be willing to invest your time. I wish I had two amens in here. 
Yeah, you, you, you have to be willing to invest. Your, there, there is no other way to becoming a, 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 an exemplary Christian man or woman without the investment of time. So when we look at the text, I want to give you four principles in this text that I think will help you determine what you do with the time that you're investing. Because let me just be honest with you. You can read the Bible for 27 years, you can pray for 27 years and come to church for 27 years and still not be too much of a Christian. Because the judgment is not going to be based on how many hours you spent reading the Bible. Judgment is not going to be based on how many hours you spent praying. Judgment is not going to be based on how many hours you spent fasting. But the judgment is going to be based on the deeds that we did. Y'all are not feeling me. In other words, you're going to have to give an account of what you did with your time. And it's going to be a sorry testimony. If the only thing you're going to be able to say to God is I spent an hour a day praying, I spent a month a year fasting, and I spent a 15 minutes every day reading the Bible. If that's the only thing that you're going to be able to tell God when you stand in front of him, that's going to be one sorry testimony. That's going to be a waste of divine resources that God has invested his Holy Spirit in you. And the most you could do is just pray and read the Bible and fast. And there's no example of you using your time and using the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in your life and in the lives of others. And so what God has in these churches are people who are sitting down on a keg of power. There's power in them, but they're sitting down and the best they can use their power for is simply to pray about things they need to be doing something about and read about something that they already have read before. That's the best they can do. But God wants us to make a difference in this world. He says, I saw somebody that was hungry. I want the hungry there that takes time. Somebody who's naked. I want some clothes on his back. That takes time. Somebody is in prison for all kinds of things. I need the prisoner visited. That takes time. Sometimes the easiest thing we can do, we can give money. But we can't give our time. Four things. It's right here in this text. Verse 6, it says, so we urged Titus. Just right there. We urged Titus. Here's the point. Number one, subject yourself to unilateral Christian mentoring or coaching. I said unilateral because you're not going to ever grow if you have a coach that you can raise an objection to. Oh, y'all not feeling me, not here. If you want to get good at something, you got to have a coach that has total authority, total autonomy. If he or she is your coach, then you commit yourself to doing what the coach says doing the way the coach says to do it for the purpose of your growing. You're trusting that the coach can see things that are in you and see things that are not in you and that they're going to guide you to a place to where you're going to be stronger. You see, buck wild Christians cannot ever grow. 
Christians that cannot submit themselves cannot ever grow. Christians who mistake the church for the corporate environment can never grow. I know, I know, I know in the corporate environment you got to be strong and assertive and all that. But you see, in the church, you got to be humble. I wish I had. In the church, you got to know how to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In the church, you got to know how to somehow disagree and keep your mouth shut because you just might be wrong in what you disagree with. And I'm telling you, if you want to grow, somebody say grow. Sometimes when you want to grow, you got to do like Jesus did. When Jesus decided that walking back to Jerusalem, I mean, walking back to Nazareth with his parents was of less importance than his growth. He turned around and he went back to the temple. And it says when his parents found him in the temple, this was what he was doing. He was sitting and he was listening and he was asking questions. Oh, I wish I had some help in here. If you really, 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 if you really want to grow, you'll shut your mouth. You'll put your opinion on hold and you will sit and listen and asking questions. I tell my children all the time growth is not embedded in statements. Growth comes from asking questions. Number two. Number two. Use the time use the time to believe strongly in a godly vision for your life. This is where Paul says, excel in faith. The faith is not just talking about something. Faith is not just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's more than that. You want to use your time to strengthen your faith in the vision that God has for your life. Listen, faith graduates from articulation to activity. It graduates from talking to doing. Now, when you believe, are you all still here? When you believe that God has a plan for your life or that God has a calling on your life or that God is leading and guiding you or that God has touched your life in a special way, or that God has spared your life in a special way, or that there's a reason for your existence that is different than the same children that came out of your mother's womb. You got two other siblings, but you believe that God has a special purpose that's different than the purpose of the other children. If you believe that God God has put you in the situation that you're in for a special purpose, then if you have that kind of faith, I wish I had some, that kind of trust in God, it changes how you roll. It changes how you walk. It changes how you flow. Yes, when you believe it. Now, we'll get some here now. When you believe that, it does not matter what other people believe. When you believe that God has a calling on your life, that God has picked you for some special purpose, that God has an anointing, that God has spared you. If you believe that, it does not matter what other people believe. 
And so we are to practice our belief. Listen, listen to this. You want to practice your belief until the unbelief of others is totally ineffective in your life. In other words, your faith is to become so strong that you can drink any deadly poison of the doubters and the haters and it will not harm you. Faith changes how we see ourselves, but it also changes what we say about ourselves. Are y'all still here? So this is number three. Spend your time speaking. Somebody say speaking. Now this is what you're doing to grow. This is how you're using your time. You want to spend your time speaking with conviction about God's hand on your life. How does this work? Everybody who has greatness in them also has smallness in them. And the reason you don't realize your greatness is because you have magnified your smallness. Oh, y'all not following me. I'm just trying to be honest with you. You've got greatness in you sitting out there in these seats. You've got a ton of greatness in you. But the reason you may not be realizing it is because you put more emphasis on your smallness than you do on your greatness. Y'all may not believe me, but there was a man named Moses. God told Moses, I'm going to give you the biggest assignment I've given anybody in a couple thousand years. I'm going to send you back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what, and, and what Moses did, instead of saying, well, my God, I've been waiting for something big to do. My God, I've been tired of leading sheep out here in this old empty desert. I want something significant. The first thing he says, I can't go because I'm too small. I stutter. And so you want to practice speaking faith and life into the area that God has given you in your life. And how do you do that? The best way to do it is to quote scripture. Yeah. Quote scripture over the small areas and over the big areas of your life. That's when you start saying, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. That's when you start saying, my God shall provide all of my needs. That's when you start saying that the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. That's when you start saying the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's when you start saying, I was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's when you start saying, I'm going to be blessed in the city, and I'm going to be blessed in the I'm going to be blessed when I come out and I'm going to be blessed when I go in. I'm going to be blessed at home and blessed shall be the fruit of my womb. God's going to bless my life. You speak that over your life. You say it because people tend to do the things they speak about. Sincerity is reflected in our intentional use of language which motivates us to act. Number four, spend time learning. There's two things here. Spiritual and industry knowledge. 
Now, most of us have mastered the industry knowledge. I know what it means to be a doctor. I know what it means to be an IT person. I know what it means to be a security guard. I know what it means to be a police officer. I know what it means to be a teacher. I know what it means to be a human resource expert. I know what it means to be a preacher. And so that's industry stuff. But you don't just want to know industry stuff. You also want to know spiritual stuff. Somebody say amen. I heard Paul say this, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, sometimes it doesn't matter what's in your policy and procedure manner. You ain't going to win by pointing to what's in the policy. I wish I had some help. I don't, I don't care what the, what, the, what the rules are. You're not going to win if you're going to appeal to the rules. But how, about, how many about people know here know that there are some other rules that you can't write down? <laughs> I wish I had some help. Uh, yeah, so when, when you, sometimes you got to know some spiritual stuff. Sometimes what you're dealing with is a spiritual fight. It ain't got nothing to do with you and, and them and the policies. Sometimes it's a spiritual war. And so you got to know how to engage in a spiritual battle. You got to know how to pray without praying stuff that don't matter. If your child is acting crazy, then you pray about that and you tarry over that and you stay there. If your finances is messed up, then you pray over your finances. If you don't have but a little bit of money, then you focus your prayer. God, I don't have but two dollars, but God, I want more. So God, what I I want you to do is fix my heart God so that I can be ready to receive because I know there's no shortage in you I know there's a cattle on a thousand hills I know all the silver and the gold and I know you love to bless your children and right now God I need you to work in my heart fix my mind fix my habits fix my discipline because I want more I want more in my life. And so you begin to learn both the spiritual and the industry. In other words, don't just know how to quote scripture. And if you're a doctor, you don't know how to write a prescription. Don't just be quoting scripture and you're a teacher and you don't know how to put together no lesson plan. Don't just be quoting scripture and you're a police officer and the only thing you know how to do is pull your gun. You got to know the spiritual and you got to know your industry. Listen. God does not call Christians to be intelligent in the spirit and dumb in the flesh. You can't be walking around a Bible scholar, but absolutely an idiot on your job and calling yourself a Christian. You got to study your industry. Master your industry. Know what it is that your boss and God is expecting of you. Y'all all right? You want to spend time. Somebody say time. It don't take no time to be dumb. You're born dumb. And you will stay dumb 
unless you spend some time uh, telling dumbness the devil is a liar. I will sit myself down and I will apply myself and I give myself the time I need to learn what it is I need to learn to be the best that I can possibly be. This is what should happen in growth groups. Some people quit growth groups too early. Got in a growth group, said a group too shallow. Don't nobody talk about it and they're too shallow. Well, they start out shallow. Everybody starts out shallow. But if you hang around long enough, I wish I had, if you hang around long enough, if you go from session to session, you'll see the water start getting a little deeper. Knowledge start getting a little better. People start asking different kinds of questions. Folks start crying right there in the midst of the growth group because conviction has come over their heart. If you hang around, sometimes we quit too soon. Because we say it's too shallow. They're just talking about surface stuff. But I always encourage you, depth comes with staying around. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus demonstrated. He just talked about being sincere. He sincerely wanted to save us from our sins and didn't do anything about it. Jesus was so sincere about it that he demonstrated his sincerity. By submitting himself to the Father. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's the model. He submitted himself. He said, the things that you see me do. He says, the Father that is working in me. He believed in the call of God on his life. He talked about that call of God on his life. He shared it with his disciples when his enemies talked to him. He talked about the call of God. Even when Pilate had him under the arrest, Pilate said, don't you know I have power? Jesus said, excuse me. You don't have any power. He said, if I were to appeal to the Father, he said, he would right now send legions of angels to wipe your name out of the annals of human history. But I have submitted myself to the will of the Father. Yes, spoke scripture. You can't read the Bible in Jesus' life without running in him saying it is written. It is written. Even while he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't lamenting. He was singing a song. He was going back to the word of God to find hope and comfort and strength. Yeah, this is what he did. And for 33 years, he demonstrated sincerity by dedicating his time to using his life to the glory of his heavenly father. So just like in the Shawshank Redemption, on a Friday, he was committed and executed for a crime that he did not commit. Can I get some witnesses? Yeah, he was sentenced and he was uh, killed and executed for a crime that he did not commit. But then he demonstrated the same kind of spirit of Andy Dufresne when there was a thief on the cross that said to him, he said, he said, before you die, I got a question I want to ask you. I said, he said, I want to be with you. Uh, remember me. And he said, today I, you'll be with me in paradise. But it goes greater than that. You see, when he died, the Bible says that he went into the lower parts to where the dead spirits were and he walked past all of them 
And he found the warden of the prison. And he told the warden to turn his keys in. And so what he did, he not only got the keys, but he got the blessings that belonged to his children. And so the Bible says that when he ascended, he led captivity captive and he started giving gifts unto men. I mean, he was so sincere that when he died and when he rose again, he didn't just rise with power for himself. But right now, you've been blessed because Jesus died and rose again. Your life has been blessed. Your children's life have been blessed. Your mother's life have been blessed. Your future has been blessed because what Jesus did. And so he did it not just thinking of himself. But he did it thinking of us. You see, ultimately, sincerity can never be selfish. Ultimately. Ultimately, if we're really sincere, we always have ourselves and somebody else in mind. Amen. Stand to your feet. When you were in school, elementary school, middle school, high school, how many of you in here, and this won't be everybody, if everybody raised their hand, know somebody's lying, but how many of you in here really always wanted to be the smartest kid in the class? Now, everybody don't have to read. We, we know, we know, we know some of y'all just was waiting for lunch, but that's recess. And that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. All right, put your hand down. How many of you are former athletes? Former athletes. How many of you who are athletes, every time you got on the field, one of the things you had in your heart and in your spirit, what you wanted to do, you really wanted to be the best athlete out on the court or on the field. Huh? Raise your hand if that's you. How, how, many, how many of you, how many of you, how many of you, how many of you Remember getting your first job and going into your profession and, and, you know, sitting down and being so happy. Man, I'm, boy, look where I am. I got a desk. <laughs> I got a desk. I got, I got a key to an office. Man, whoa. <laughs> My own office? I got, I, I got a gas allowance. And, and, you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at the industry that you're in. And, 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 and after you get over the excitement, you calm down, you start reflecting on who you are. And you really purpose within your heart. After you've seen all your peers, you've seen others who come before you, you know who used to occupy this space before you got there. But you say within yourself, I'm going to be the best that they've ever seen. Anybody ever did that before? Anybody ever did that? I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. You may not have told anybody, you may not have said anything, but in your heart, you can say, when they see me coming, they're going to know somebody's here that's doing an outstanding job, that's doing this thing well. Yeah. How many parents we have in here? How many of you parents remember when your first child was born? I got, I got to use the first child because your mind changes after you get two, three, four. <laughs> 
Yeah. But when you when, when, when that first child was born, I mean, ain't no lie about it. I mean, you already got your heart fixed, your mind made up. But man, I'm going to knock the ball out the park when it comes to parenting this child. I mean, this child's going to have everything they need from me. I'm going to nurture them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to expose them. I'm gonna, how, how many of you felt like that? Yeah, I'm going to be the best. Won't be anything my child lacks. Well, you see, that same spirit, that same mindset, is what God wants you to apply to your Christian faith. He don't want you, He doesn't want you to look at being a Christian as something that has a series of options for you to choose. Because in order for you to be the best athlete, there are mandatory things that you must do in order to be the best athlete, right? In order for you to be the best student in the class, there are mandatory things that you must do in order to be the best student, in order to be the best in your profession. There are benchmarks and goals and things that you must do in order to be the best. And in order to be an exemplary Christian, there are things that we must do. Now, you don't do these things to be saved. They don't save you. But you do these things because you are saved because you are a believer. Raise your hands. I want to pray for you. God is so easy.